Today we continue our look back at the year just ended, a year many will want to forget, not least the pig and poultry sectors, representatives from which we'll be talking to in a moment, and we'll do some crystal ball gazing with our wishes, hopes and predictions for 2022. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning. Let me start with a heartfelt, happy and prosperous New Year wish to all in farming, the countryside and beyond. One of the hardest hit areas of farming in a challenging 2021 was the pig sector. I'm joined by Yorkshire pig farmer Kate Morgan and first chief exec of the National Pig Association, Zoe Davis. Zoe, is this the worst you've ever known things? Yeah, I, I honestly think, speaking to many people who've been in, in the industry a lot longer than me, this is the worst year that I think they have ever seen. I mean, this beat classical swine fever, foot and mouth, really low prices. At least then they could move the pigs and get rid of them. This, this has been absolute nightmare for anybody involved in pig keeping this year. It kind of started really, didn't it, earlier in the year with export problems post-Brexit? Yes, uh, export and uh, the beginning of the exodus of people back into the European Union. So the beginning of the labour crisis, not forgetting that last Christmas we had COVID problems in the plants uh, and our first backlog experience where a lot of the plants shut down or couldn't operate full shift. So uh, pigs weren't taken off the farms then, but thankfully we managed to um, move those pigs during the spring. So we had a brief period of respite in the summer. And then, of course, uh, a lot of the people that had gone home on holidays didn't return and then precipitated the rest of the problems that we have been experiencing since then. Where are we now? Are are we seeing any any improvement at all or, or is it likely to get worse before it gets better? Sadly, we've not seen any improvement so far. The package of measures that the government brought in at the end of last year really hasn't done anything to improve the situation. Private storage and a slaughter incentive payment scheme uh, that were designed primarily to get pigs off farms quick came in literally at the end of November. So just before the Christmas period, all the processes were just totally focused on getting the pigs through for the Christmas trade and they didn't want to be killing additional pigs that would have to go into storage because that was a condition of the slaughter incentive payment scheme. Uh, The other measure was the 800 uh, visas for seasonal worker butchers and by the end of last year there literally were less than 100 out of the 800 that had been taken up and managed to get into this country because the process was just so complicated. Zoe, have you had all the help you might be expecting or hoping for from retailers? Retailers have been supportive. There, there's definite examples where certain retailers have helped in terms of range rationalisation, trying to reduce labour-intensive products. Um, but there is certainly more that they can do to ensure that they continue to support British, aren't tempted by very cheap uh, European imports because the price in Europe is even worse than it is here, but also to work with the processors to find solutions to the problems that are within the plants to ensure that pigs aren't being killed within their own supply chains to make sure that this doesn't happen. Yorkshire pig farmer Kate Morgan, as a producer, how has this affected you? Massively. We've never had a year like this. The problem is, is that it's totally out of our control. It's not something that we've done that's affected our business so it's not something that we've made a bad choice or what have you it's something that's totally out of our hand and we don't know when it's going to get better and you see and hear you people going out of business 
And it's awful. Some really good businesses are packing up. It's heartbreaking, really. This must be affecting you financially. It's massively affecting us financially. But I am so passionate that we need family pig farmers and family farms as a whole. We need them. And so we are literally doing everything that we can to ride this out. One thing you've done this year was the Bite Into British campaign. Yes, it is. Um, Do you know, that was to try and get a bit of positivity into agriculture, not just for the consumer, I think for farmers themselves as well, because it has been really hard mentally for us all. And so we felt that we needed to do something to lift our spirits a bit, and it has done. My sister and I have done the advent calendar of British produce, and actually the pig farmers are about to release a Christmas song. Going into 2022, do you see the next year as positive or more of the same? Well, we have to hope that it's positive. I think that for the first quarter at least, I think it's going to be a real struggle, pretty much more of the same. And then I'm hoping that there will be a lack of pigs on the market and it will turn around. And that's really sad that I'm hoping that because people have cut their sow numbers down, hopefully that will turn the market around. And that's it's not a very nice thing to, to hope for, but for my business to survive, that's the only thing that we can hope for, really, at the moment. Thank you, Kate Morgan and MPA Chief Exec Dr Zoe Davis. Fingers crossed for a better year for you. The poultry sector is another that's had a difficult year, sharing the pig sector's issues with Brexit, COVID and labour shortages earlier in the year, and then more recently a very significant outbreak of H5N1 avian flu. Richard Griffiths is the Chief Exec of the British Poultry Council. Richard, what's the flu situation at the moment? As we speak, I think the the number of incidents of bird flu uh, have reached over 60 which is by far the worst outbreak we've we've ever had. It is being controlled. The contingency plans are working. Because of the extent of the outbreak, we're seeing those resources definitely being stretched, which again hasn't been helped by labour shortages of the effects of Brexit, the pressures of, of COVID. At the moment, we're working through it and it's being coped with and we're working closely with the government to stamp out the disease. But this is, we fear that this will be a common occurrence now. So we need to have the resources in place on a year by year basis to, to deal with it. It can be dealt with and it is being dealt with. But the, again, the, the pressures of bird flu often have a knock on effect onto the cost of production. Why do you feel that it's going to be a more common occurrence? Our vets and scientists say that the that bird flu is pretty much endemic in the wild bird population of the UK. So it's a, it's a constant threat, which is then amplified by migrating birds every year. So it's always there. So as long as we can provide a good level of biosecurity, as long as all bird keepers are vigilant and just look out for the signs of bird flu, we hope it's, it's a con- controllable disease. Um, so we're in the midst at the moment of a of a, a very bad situation, um, but we hope it will plateau soon. In amongst all the avian flu and COVID and so on, do we see any positivity coming out in the poultry sector next year? Well, the uh, the, the poultry sector is 
proving itself incredibly resilient. Um, the demand is still there. The demand for British produce is as high as ever. So if we can work through these, albeit massive, challenges with the help of government, then I think the, the, the future um, remains quite positive for British poultry meat production um, because we have good standards across food quality, across welfare that people want. So there's reason to be optimistic as we work through these, these immense pressures. Absolutely. Well, look, all the best to you and yours as we head into the new year and fingers crossed for an easier 2022, Richard. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Our crop doctor, Sean Sparling, is taking a well-deserved break from walking the fields for us. He'll be back sharing his agronomy expertise and advice in a couple of weeks. But I've asked Sean to give some thought to his hopes for 2022. Good morning and a happy new year, Sean. Yes, very good morning to you, Steve. Happy New Year to you too, and of course to all our listeners. So I just have three very simple wishes for 2022. Firstly, I would like to see a hard winter. Absolutely crucial for me and for growers across the county and across the country for several reasons. It kills off diseases like mildew, it knocks back diseases like septoria and rust and allows us to bind our time and be in control of when we start fungicide programmes. It also knocks off unnecessary leaf growth from some of these frothy crops. And a hard winter drives the slugs down the profile away from slow growing seedlings in the top of the profile it also breaks down and weathers the seed beds that are out there waiting for spring crops to go in and that leaves us with a nice friable tilth which is perfect for seeding into a mild wet winter absolute disaster when it comes to sowing spring crops but also far more importantly a hard winter is going to kill off the aphids in particular now many of us have resisted the urge to apply insecticides multiple insecticides to cereal crops in the autumn where ipm protocols and thresholds have shown quite clearly more predators and beneficials out there than pests so those aphids which are still out there in wheat fields are going to need several minus fives minus sixes or below in order to reduce those levels and kill that latent population they're out there waiting to pounce from wheat crops and barley crops into spring barley spring oats spring wheat and indeed to shoot back into the winter cereal crops and start spreading around any existing virus pockets as things warm up Aphid control from a hard winter, therefore, is absolutely crucial as part of our planning process. We no longer have seed dressings like neonicotinoids, which were a perfect example of precision farming, targeting the pest and only the pest, but political interference and misinformation has put paid to those. We no longer have them. And what we've got left are pretty inept at controlling them. The pyrethroids just don't do the job anymore. So cultural and IPM controls are now crucial to us. So if we don't get a hard winter, we could once again see virus levels in cereals, but also probably more crucially in sugar beet decimate the national crop like it did a couple of years ago. As we came through from 2020 into 21, we had a standby derogation for neonicotinoid seed treatments on sugar beet in order to stop a repeat of that disastrous level of virus which annihilated the 2019 crop. But the IPM temperature-based decision-making process was taken by BBRO that it had been sufficiently cold 
hold throughout winter 2020 into 21 to kill off enough of the aphid vectors and therefore the flying aphids weren't going to appear until late May, early June, by which time the national sugar beet crop should have been full of predators and probably big and ugly enough to stand the risk. And they were absolutely bang on, which proves that that IPM-based decision-making process worked. But we don't have the security of that neonicotinoid derogation this year. So we have to get that cold winter. And personally, and according to a lot of growers as well, it's shameful, really, to be honest, that growers who have to sign sugar beet contracts months in advance of winter, let alone of putting the seed in the ground, have no get-out clause in that contract at all. If we don't get that hard winter, even though British Sugar does have this compensation fund for virus yellows, which they're always talking about, but let's be honest, it requires a degree and a 40-year residency at Bletchley Park in order to make sense of the terms and conditions let alone the whole system. So a hard winter isn't going to be just wishful, but vital for sugar beet. But we don't want it extending into April like it did last year, which ruined some of the winter cereal crops that were just at the wrong growth stage at the wrong time when 25 consecutive frosts hit. Secondly, I'd like a kind, benevolent, weather-friendly March, April and May so we can get drilled up, get herbicides, fungicides, etc. all on in good time to maximise efficiently. And thirdly, I'd like to see an end to some of the blatant profiteering by some of the merchants and manufacturers out there. It's astonishing how 12 months ago, nitrogen was about £230 a tonne. Today, you're doing well to get it less than 650 Everybody knows who the worst culprits are. They need to stop it. Every time you say nitrogen, compound fertilisers, propizomide, glyphosate, fungicides, herbicides, they seem to go up another five quid a can. Glyphosate has trebled in price in the last 12 months. Fuel prices as high as they've ever been. And if you look at the profiteering on the forecourt, when independent garages are selling diesel and petrol 10p a litre cheaper than the supermarket in the same village, you can see the scale of the problem. We need more people to act like those little independent garages and start cutting their prices. I truly hope that those who are unnecessarily increasing prices for no other reason than they can realise that if they don't stop this greed, then next year the farming programme could be very, very short. Let's get a good hard winter, let's get a nice kind spring, and let's be sensible with prices so that the hand that feeds you is still able to do so this time next year. Simple really, Steve. Yep, why has no one thought of it before, eh? Thanks, Sean, and enjoy your break for a little while longer. Look forward to your return on the 16th. We're looking backwards and forwards on the farming programme this week at a 2021 that can probably most charitably be described as challenging with COVID, the fallout from Brexit, staff shortages and sadly it seems more accidents and fatalities on farms. Stephanie Barkley runs the Farm Safety Foundation Yellow Wellies. Stephanie, we'll talk about mental health in just a moment but firstly farm safety. Is it really that bad? Well from an industry point of view it's been pretty dismal to be honest Steve. Um Last year, we did see an increase in the number of people that lost their lives on our farms. There were 41, including two children. So it hasn't been a great year. However, that hasn't stopped us. We're still, as a charity, we're out there. We've delivered training to 2,442 students at 41 colleges. That's face-to-face and over things like teams, like everybody else. Um, and we've also done another 1,500 through the Young Farmers Club. So it's, we're still going, delivering the training and driving that change in the next generation. But we really need to get to those older ones. 
Yeah, the battle continues. Just the other day in Lincolnshire, we had the Louth Christmas tractor run, which was raising oh. funds for the Mind Your Head campaign, which was uh, A, brilliant to see, uh, but yeah. it's been great to see so many people raising money for the campaign, hasn't it? Oh, it's been absolutely incredible. And I'm actually right in the middle of planning for the fifth annual Mind Your Head campaign. Cannot believe it's five years since we started talking about mental health in the industry. It's so fantastic to see something that brings a community together, that brings light literally into um, an area with those fantastic tractors that went to so much bother. You know, they, they were so impressive, but it's that sort of spirit of the season again and bringing people together, celebrating how fantastic our farmers are and doing it for such a worthy cause. And let's do a bit of crystal ball gazing. Where do you see 2022? Well, for us, we know we're going to kick off with um, Mind Your Head campaign. And we're actually going to talk about some positive things for a change. The positive elements of mental health in the industry, how people are using what they're doing and how they're supporting each other to actually drive a change in the industry by creating technology to help each other, by supporting each other in terms of getting together on social media. So we're looking to start to put a bit of positive spin back on things again because we've all been through two really difficult years um, we need to start thinking, yes, when we sit down on Christmas dinner and we look at that meal, that has been done by those farmers that are out there every day working to put food in our plates. Let's give thanks to them. Let's start to support them, support local um, businesses, farm shops, all of those wonderful things. And let's stop putting themselves under pressure, which obviously leads to their poor mental health, which also has an impact possibly on them having a life-changing or unfortunately a life-ending accident. Are we having another Farm Safety Week in 22? Yes, we will indeed. We will be having our 10th. Now, when we say Farm Safety Week, we don't just do this one week in a year. There are great opportunities these one week to deliver all of these messages and work together as an industry to share them. But we do this every single day of the year. Farm Safety Week will be July again next year. We don't care whether... If COVID's still here in whatever form it is, we'll still be doing it because farmers will still be out there and they will still need to be reminded of how important they are and how they need to rethink risk. Because farming is a risky business, you know, and we still have the poorest safety record of any occupation in the UK. And we want that to change. I'm fed up saying it. And I really want it to change. We know we've got this poor safety record. Over the years, is it getting any better or is it getting any worse? I would love to say it's getting better, mm. but it's not. You know, in the next generation, comparing the older and younger age groups, the fatal injury rate is four times higher for over 65 compared to the younger age group. The next generation have a better attitude, but they're going to drive those good behaviours in the industry, that better approach, the better attitude. But we need older farmers to listen. We need them to understand that, you know what, an 82-year-old should not be in a crush or a run with cattle. You know, it's not, they're not the best suited for that. They have a powerful knowledge of the industry. Let's put that to good use. Stephanie, thank you for that. Uh, let's keep fingers crossed for better statistics in 2022. And let's hope it's a good year for all concerned. And all the best to you and yours. And thanks for all your support, Steve. We really appreciate it. We, we were a small team. We've got a big ambition and we need all the help we can get.
You will get plenty from us, I promise you. All right, Stephanie, have a good new year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you too. It has been a tough year that's taken its toll and more and more people are seeking help and support both with mental health and on a practical level. Fortunately, that support is out there. From the Farm Community Network and in Lincolnshire, LRSN, the Lincolnshire Rural Support Network. Charles Anion is an ambassador for FCN and Amy Thomas is head of charity at LRSN. Amy, is your service being called on to a greater degree, would you say? It absolutely is. In the past, we've had uh, significant caseloads, um, but we are seeing a year-on-year increase on that. This year alone, we've seen 76 new cases uh, be taken on, which brings our live caseload to 145, which is a significant increase um, on the previous year. And I, I imagine looking at the number of cases coming in just in the last month, and knowing what's on the horizon in terms of change uh, for the sector, we will see more coming through in the new year. And looking ahead to the future, Amy, you've launched a couple of big projects recently, one of which is helping out with business advice, yeah? We have been running a project called Farm for the Future, which we've been delivering with Prince's Countryside Fund. Um, and that's been supporting people to really think about the changes, trying to brief them on what we know about what's coming, what's happening, uh, but also trying to help people think about their business a little bit more. Uh, from a resilience perspective, helping people to plan ahead and to think about how they might be able to make the most of some of the schemes that are coming through. And there's your other new project, the Health Hub. What's that all about? We will be basically putting our nurses who offer our health screening services on wheels. Um, So we'll be taking our health hut out to country shows, farm sales, seed trials, all sorts of different events, local markets, really trying to spread the word about our services, uh, but also offering those essential health checks to people and trying to get to those areas perhaps where we're less well known. So when are you planning on launching this, Amy? We're planning to launch in February. Uh, We're hoping that we'll be able to launch it at the farming conference, which is taking place at Lincolnshire Showground on the 10th of February. So you've got an awful lot on the go at the moment. Is there anything else on the horizon as we move into 2022? Oh, absolutely. We're full of plans for 2022. We want to really think about how we can make the most opportunities to support our communities. The Mad May Marathon's coming back in 2022, and we hope that'll be even bigger and better. Um, and we're also planning on launching an LRSN Coffee Morning Events Initiative, which will be designed to involve everybody in the community, not just in terms of fundraising, but also sort of sharing the word about our services and support. Um, And then we're also going to be introducing some new volunteering roles, which is, again, really exciting. It's a busy time. I mean, in some respects, it's brilliant that you're doing all this stuff. In other respects, it's a bit sad that you need to, isn't it? Because your services are being used more and more. It is. Yeah, you're completely right. It is fantastic that the service is there to support people, but it is really sad that people, you know, face crisis and change and, and they need to come forward for support. But um, I think something that is really important to, to raise is the fact that, you know, we are there to support people, but actually in the community supports us as well. And we have been so fortunate um, for all of the people, groups, charities and organisations and businesses who've supported us over the past year. Um, and I think it, it wouldn't be possible to reflect on the past year without really saying a big thank you to everybody who's raised funds and donated to us because every pound that's raised helps us to provide a lifeline for people. Absolutely. And on that note, I wish you all the very best for 2022, both you personally and LRSN. Amy Thomas, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you. And if you're outside Lincolnshire, there's the Farming Community Network, FCN. Charles Anion, does FCN offer similar support? 
basically they look after a wide range of issues, animal disease, mental health, family disputes, and walk people with problems through them. They make publications. There's a new one, The Journey Ahead, which has lots of information about planning ahead for the future and farm business, especially in these difficult times. Both LRSN and the Farming Community Network, they have helplines. Um, I've also been involved with pushing an FCN campaign called the Who's Your Julie campaign, which aimed to get people to have a think about their networks and who they talk to in times of crisis. And the Who's Your Julie campaign carries on and uh, you know I'll be promoting it over Christmas just to keep people talking because a lot of people get into into a predicament when they don't talk they bottle things up uh, problem shared is a problem halved and I was I was talking to a chap a couple of weeks ago and I just mentioned it and um, he, he, he said to me oh that's you that's that's your thing is it and I was like uh, yes so he you know a lot of people had heard about it and even if they haven't engaged they have heard and they have they will have hopefully how to think about who they talk to in times of crisis. Where can we find out more about the services of FCN and the Where's Your Julie campaign, Charles? Well, basically, uh, on social media, FCN are quite active on Twitter, at FCN Charity. Google the Farming Community Network. Uh, obviously, don't forget the helpline number, 03000 111999. Hashtag Who's Your Julie. And uh, yeah, look out for look out for FCN charity. They do they do fantastic work, and I'm delighted to uh, be an ambassador for them. And you ran a marathon in 2021, raising funds for FCN. Any plans for another one this year? I am running the Manchester Marathon on April 3rd for also for FCN. So, uh, you know, watch this space. It could be quite emotional. Charles, uh, good luck with the marathon. And say we'll no doubt talk about that a lot closer to the event. Uh, but have a very, very happy new year, mate. Very good. And you, Steve. Before we finish for today, I'd like to say an enormous thanks to all the guests who've been on the Farming Programme, over 100 in the last year, for all your support and contributions. We haven't quite finished with our review of 21 and preview of 22. We'll talk rural crime with Chief Inspector Phil Vickers from Lincolnshire Police next week, when we also welcome Oliver Chapman, auctioneer at Louth Livestock Market, who will be bringing us weekly sale reports and prices from the market. I'm Steve Orchard. Hope it's a happy and prosperous new year for you. See you next week on The Farming Programme.